Are you talking shift? We are. It's time for the We're Talking Shift podcast. Now, now, now. Here to talk shift, Lori Bischoff. We're talking shift. Hey, everyone. It's Lori Bischoff, and you are listening to the We're Talking Shift podcast, the podcast where we talk shift because I believe the antidote to feeling stuck begins in our minds by shifting our thinking. And the next step after that often requires that we go rogue and take some very deliberate or even radical action in order to get unstuck and move forward. Today, my going rogue guest is Jimmy Yalalis. I think I said that right. I always screw it up, but I think it's Jimmy Yalalis, aka Jimmy the Greek. Jimmy's a board certified massage therapist and the owner of Advanced Massage Arts and Education, which provides continued education for other massage therapists. He is just an all around cool guy and I love his story. So I can't wait to introduce you. Welcome, Jimmy. Thank you so much for having me here. Thank you so much. Of course, of course. I'm super excited to talk to you today because we're going to talk about a little bit maybe a lot about massage, which is very appealing, (laughs) I think. And I think it's super cool that professionally you have devoted yourself to being of service to others in the form of being a massage therapist. But not only that, you're also a teacher of massage therapy, which I think is pretty cool. I mean, seriously, who does not love a good massage? There's so much great healing potential with it, and I feel like massage therapy falls under a greater umbrella of holistic arts. And that's one reason why I love teaching, because I get to combine massage therapy at its purest with the holistic arts of Reiki and other energy-based practice to really create this dramatic, dramatic session that people can really find great transformation with. Wow. So it's a lot more than just... Um going in for, you know, like a a therapeutic reason, like, you know, you have muscle knots and stuff. I mean, I know that you once told me that you believed in the healing power of touch. And so that, that statement and basically what you also just said suggests a much deeper reason for what you do. That's way beyond what we generally think massage is for. I mean, it feels good and there's therapeutic reasons, but the whole energy aspect is interesting as well. So true. And I work with chronic ill patients here in Phoenix, Arizona, and I realize that that massage goes beyond just the physical impact. And yes, there is a time and a place to address muscles and knots and physical injury, but then there's also the metaphysical side of massage and how someone can feel more connected with their body. I'll have clients say phrases like that. I feel more connected. I feel more whole after seeing you. I feel like myself again. That that speaks to that metaphysical side that the healing arts are more than just, you know, putting lotion on body. Certainly we -hmm. we touch a spirit. I I like to say that my clients are spirits and souls and they have a story that brought them here today. And I try to listen to all aspects. Wow, that's really cool. And I think that that's, Um, I guess that's why you're so good at what you do and you're the one that's, you know, teaching other uh, massage therapists because you you don't get that feeling or that vibe with every single massage that you get. You know what I mean? Not everybody has that deep of a uh, of a reason for for doing what they do. 
And maybe it's just because I've been doing it 19 years and going strong. So it took a while to, to learn, uh, but I re- recognized it took time to listen. The art of listening, I think, is healthy in any holistic art practice, just like in any relationship. I think we create a therapeutic relationship with clients. And so I feel like uh, the listeners who are wondering, you know, should I get a massage or how do I find a good massage therapist? I think the one that listens to you best is the therapist for you. Yes, I agree. I and, and you know what? You usually can tell um, right away when you go to book um, a session or you know a massage um, time with somebody. The the ones that can get you in that day, <laughs> maybe uh, you know, maybe maybe not. But the ones that say they have a two month waiting list, that's probably the really good one. There certainly is something about the connection that we make and the clients can be loyal to a good therapist because, again, if we learn how to listen to your body, your body's cries and whispers and what it really needs, then we really have a great connection and healing is is easier to manifest when we are really on the same page, therapist to client. Mm-hmm. So what, so what, how did you end up doing this and getting so deep into, uh, as you say, call it really the healing power of touch? What, what brought you here? Let's see. That's such a good question because it's a long story, but I'm glad we have some time. <laughs> there's, there's, <laughs> yeah. there's this, ask, there's this um, idea that I wanted to go wrong. Ogue in my life. I wanted to certainly buck the trend of what I was supposed to be, as I'm a, a firstborn Greek son uh, from Chicago. So I was supposed to run the family restaurant. My oh. family was still very, tra- very traditional in its ways. And if you've ever seen the movie My Big Fat Greek Wedding, yes. that movie is 100%. That movie is 100% accurate. Really. <laughs> so I had- Oh, 100% accurate. Uh, I've got relatives named Nick and Nikki. <laughs> so, oh, my God, that's um, awesome. <laughs> so, so, so right away, that should, that should tell the listener, yeah, I had to get away from that environment. If I was ever going to create my own life, I was going to – I was destined to be a restauranteur and take over the family business. And when I told my father I'm not going to do that at age 22, uh, you, can, you can imagine it wasn't sitting well with a very traditional conservative person. <laughs> He was definitely not happy with my choice, and he kept saying, you're not a girl. How come you're going to try a massage? You're not a girl. <laughs> and I thought, oh. well, it's not about that. <laughs> not about that. He didn't expect me to succeed for sure. And I'm sure there's that, you know, that cultural aspect of, hey, I, I made this business for my kids, and my kids will just take it over. Who has gone on to her different world? So I was expected to be that guy that took over the family business, and sure enough, I did not, and that caused quite a quite a nice rift for a while. Yeah. Um, but we were, we've moved past it. But yes, but long story short, yes, I decided to do massage therapy because I didn't want to work with my father anymore, and I just could not live his life. And I and I was you know shopping around the different massage schools nationwide. And I thought, okay, this school in Salt Lake City, Utah, the Utah College of Massage Therapy, they seem legitimate. They seem like they present massage in a respectful healthcare-like fashion. And sure enough, I was right. And, and I'm so happy that they were you know, the top-notch school at that time. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. So, so that's really interesting. I love, I love the big fat Greek wedding movies. Those are awesome. And I now have a, I have a really clear picture of what your, <laughs> of what your life was like 
growing up. That's pretty interesting. Um, so, I mean, before that, when you were younger, were you thinking, was there ever a time you were thinking, um, okay, this is what I'm going to do? Or did you always know, even from childhood, uh, there's no way that I want to be running business? And, you know, what were the dynamics like at home? I mean, was it, was it a positive, healthy home life? You know, how did... How did you definitely get not, here? Yeah, yeah, definitely not very positive, not very healthy. Um, you know, I would say, you know, to no fault of my parents because they were Greek immigrants. They didn't understand the American way of life. And so I definitely had a big learning curve on just navigating life. Um, I didn't have a lot of healthy touch growing up. Certainly there was, there was never, a, there was never moments of, you know, great healthy hugs and kisses from parents. They just weren't like that. It was, it was very distant and cold in my house. So basically I would just go to school and then come home, play with my friends and then just do homework. And that was that. There was really no bonding time, no family dinner time. It was just kind of just four bodies with my parents and my sister and myself just in the, in the same house. <laughs> so I recognized, uh, I kind of felt lost at times. There was really no direction. And I felt very lost. I didn't really know what I was doing, but also my, uh, my family didn't really again have healthy touch. And sometimes the touch I did have was not so healthy. And uh, certainly that was not very pleasant to go through as well. And I just recognized as, as I speak now, I can see how many people need the healing power of touch because I certainly benefited from that at age 23 to get touched in a healthy way into free body of aches and pains and to say, wow, this actually can be good. Massage is not just what people might see in the movies as aloofness. <laughs> it really is a powerful healing mode. And I was able to get introduced to that at age 22, which I'm really, really happy for. Uh, but yes, it, it, didn't, it didn't feel good to grow up in such a way where touch was non-existent or not healthy, if at all. <laughs> I just feel like uh, I hope uh, some some listeners are hearing this and recognizing that, yes, we may not have had the best upbringing, but we can certainly overcome and just bring more you know, positive influence in our lives. As we do that, we uplift ourselves with adding that positive touch aspect. Mm-hmm. So, so you were, um, when did you turn a corner and, and what caused that? You said somewhere around age 22, were you in college still? Tell me about that. Oh, yes, yes. Well, the first two years of college were definitely not healthy. I think I was um, half inebriated in the first two years. <laughs> and it was the first, first, first time in my life that I was put on academic probation, which if any of my students are hearing this, they, that would shock them for sure. <laughs> so yeah, I bet. I bet. I had to definitely, uh, age 20 had to really shape up. And there was an event that occurred. I saw one of my peers, one of my friends in my dorm hall, unfortunately um, pass away because of alcoholism. And I recognized then that the first two years of my college experience was not what it should have been. And I'm going down a not so good path. I, I was very sheltered as a child. Again, my parents didn't really encourage much. And so I didn't, so when I got to college, I said, woohoo, finally live it up. I can do things that my high school friends have been doing for a long time. They've been partying. I can party now. I've got permission. <laughs> so yeah. I lived it up. I lived it up and I partied way too much and I stopped 
stopped who being you know that good student I was in high school, and now I'm in academic probation, and really uh, my life is um, kind of falling apart without me even realizing it. That was a really um, shocker as I look back. I, I took a look at my life and said, "Whoa, where am I? Where am I going? What, there's no direction in my life, and I'm going downhill, and I don't want to end up like that guy who just passed away." That's and that was a big wake up. Passing call. away from alcoholism. Right. That scared the heck out of me to see I that bet. it really could happen. I mean, certainly high school programs, high school teachers may have said, oh, it could happen to you. And I didn't believe that until I saw it firsthand. And I just hope that people are listening if they're going through any sort of substance challenge to you know, recognize that there are community programs available are loving, supporting people out there who have gone through this, who can help you overcome and manage. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but again, the turning point in college, the turning point in college was definitely that, that moment of seeing someone I knew close in age transition uh, pass away. And then from there, I just had to get my act together. But even then, I felt a little ill-equipped Ill- 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 in life. I, again, lack of social skills, lack of you know, healthy sense of self. I was still kind of floating through classes and I got, I improved my grades, but at the same time I wasn't in a position like my peers who had studied well for four years. I uh, had an unfortunate situation senior year where I put out 50 resumes and got zero job offers. (laughs) And I thought, what what the heck, this is definitely not what I signed up for, signing up for four years of expensive college. And I then go back to work for my father again. Oh, no. Oh, wow. You circled back around. (laughs) Yes. And I said, this cannot be my life. This cannot be my life. I'm at that time 22, have a degree that I guess I'm supposed to use, but I seemingly can't. So I said, this can't be. I've got to make a big change. And so I told my dad, this is your life, not mine. I'm moving to a new place called Salt Lake City, Utah. I don't know anything about that place, but it's just somewhere new in a way. Hmm. And so would you say, um, would you say that you caught yourself, maybe this is kind of going still back to college before you went back to work with your father, would you say you caught yourself before you hit kind of rock bottom or did you sort of hit rock bottom when you were, you know, on college probation and you saw your friend die and then you said, I've got to make a huge change and then you went back home? Yes, I think that was definitely rock bottom for me, although I, I did finish college, luckily. That was a, a good decision to make, but I definitely hit rock bottom in that, that end of sophomore year. Mm-hmm. I definitely realized a lot of dynamics were just not very healthy in my life, and um, certainly I had to finish in four years as well. There was that pressure of uh, my my sister's four years younger than me, so you know my, my father kept saying, you better finish in four years because your sister's coming next. So I kind of had, like, okay, i got to finish, but I need to really shape up. I can't go through this and drop out, and there's not going to be a second chance, I think, for me. At that time, I just didn't think there was much going for me anyway, so if I at least finish, I can at least give myself a fighting chance in life. Mm-hmm. So it was a good thing. I, at, least, at least I had that in my corner back then. Yeah. So you finished, you got through it all in spite of the rocky start, and um, you, but you go back, you work for your father in the restaurant for a while, and then you, then you realize that that is just not going to cut it for you, and you decide to, would you say it's going rogue again? You're going to just move off to some city you've never been to called Salt Lake City? Exactly. 
Yeah, Salt Lake City, Utah. A lot of my friends kept telling me all the legends of the Mormons there, and I thought, I'm not going to let anyone phase me. <laughs> I'm just going to go there and just live my life there. And, and then also just this, you know, around, you know, 20, age 20, 21, 22, I'm in college. I'm, I'm enjoying, you know, time with friends, of course. They're certainly helping me out. And I think something that was a little maybe silly to think of back then was we were definitely big wrestling fans. And we were watching the WCW shows and WWE shows. And it kind of got me like thinking like, what if I could like, you know, be an, a great athlete like that or you know, show off like that, show off a body like that or something. So, yeah, you know, some people thought wrestling was just so stupid. I just thought, hey, you know, it's actually a pretty fun thing to watch. And it's entertaining. But also, like, I think you try to push me in a certain direction to be a little better so sometimes there are these um these, these activities or things tv shows that sometimes you know people might laugh at but you know actually did bring me some strength back then well that's interesting so yeah you're right i mean sometimes there are this the most um unsuspecting things that light a spark in you that sends you in a direction or, or moves you, you know, shifts you to another state in a, in a phase in your life, a, a new way of being. Indeed. And, and so again, to reiterate, yeah, my father, again, I certainly, I've, I've done a lot of healing about him, but I definitely had to go through a learning curve on how to heal as well. And, you know, I have to think back to that. You know, my parents were Greek immigrants. They had no, they barely had any education. They had no idea of the American way of life. And so I'm, they, they, they had no ability to guide me. And so I kind of learned everything on the spot. You know, there was no sex ed talk for me. There was no, hey, son, you're growing up. Time to shave. Time to use deodorant talk. And it was that bad. It was definitely that. Wow. That rudimentary. I had to learn literally everything on my own. And it was my high school friends that would say things like, hey, do you do you, do you use deodorant? What is that? Like having that such a that conversation, looking back, saying how unfortunate that a 15-year-old has to hear it from their friends and embarrass yeah. myself. Brand, like, that was my high school experience. Uh, total, I tell like a total foreigner in our country. And yeah, that yeah, had to be hard uh, emotionally and on your, I mean, self-esteem. I didn't have any dates in high school for sure. <laughs> my first date was in college. <laughs> so there's that aspect too. I didn't really feel like a winner in life, certainly, because <laughs> no dates and you know, not, for, not for the lack of trying. I certainly did try, but um, yeah, just no dates. And yeah, I didn't feel really good about myself until I finally got out of college and finally said, you know, no matter what that upbringing was, I can't let that drag me down. I know that people from my hometown of Waukegan, Illinois, there's, they get that bad rap of, once you get stuck in Waukegan, you're always in Waukegan, and you won't, you'll never get any better. You'll never amount to much. And I did see some of my friends kind of get trapped in a certain lifestyle of drugs and alcohol and such. And I think that it was really healthy for me to get away from Waukegan, Illinois. Mm-hmm. So I do encourage a lot of a lot of people who are listening right now, sometimes if you feel like you're kind of stuck in life. Some of the best things to do is just simply move away for a year, move away, get a new dynamic and create a new persona for you. And then if you do decide to return back, you're just a brand new person and people will look at you differently. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because a lot of times when we think about, you know, life in a small town, um, you 
if, if you haven't grown up in that small town, you don't, um, you see the charm, you see what you think is the charm of it, you know, and it, it might be a cute town or, or it might not, but everybody kind of knows each other and, and it's very, um, it's, it's close in that respect. And so it's easy to be misled and think that, it's all good and it's all wonderful and everybody's close and it's all charming, but there's a flip side of that too. And I've seen it. Um, I've lived in small towns, I've lived in big cities and I, and I, I've also seen that one of the things that happens to kids that grow up and never leave a small town is you, you know, it's like a goldfish in a fishbowl. Um, you just think that that's the whole world and that gets really boring. And you know what I mean? To get away from that boredom and to try to find some variety in your life, sometimes, oftentimes, that limitation and that limited environment makes you go, well, yeah, I'm going to go, um, you know, I'm going to go party. I got to I got to do something to mix it up. And you end up going down a path that can obviously lead to to nowhere good. And you don't realize it's happening until you get in the thick of it and you have other people in your life who are kind of influencing you. And I really believe that you become the five closest people in your life. Yeah. So I really, uh, really have seen that manifest in my life and other people's lives. So I make sure I surround myself with good, happy, positive people. Um, so when I, when I turned the one, my first corners in life, the first time I went rogue going to massage therapy school, I was able to surround myself with instructors who spoke about health and wellness. And I'm someone with a political science degree, so I was a very big change in just how I think and how I view people and view the world. So it was just very refreshing to be around that environment, and I wish I would have stayed in Salt Lake City more. I wish I would have taken an advanced program to be around them more, because <laughs> I did move to California afterwards and made some, again, introduced people in my life that were not really good for me. Ah. <laughs> so time, yeah, so it's interesting people's influence was really impacting me, but that's also because I didn't know who I was. And I really believe in what Katy Perry sings, when you don't stand for something, you fall for everything. Ooh, <laughs> and yeah, like that's a good I was, one. I was definitely falling for everyone and kind of following other people's leads. That became my whole first marriage, too. That lasted a good couple of years. Well, not a good couple of years. It wasn't so great, but it was uh, two years of me just kind of following someone else's lead. And when that relationship ended, I thought, okay, here I am now, 26 not really going anywhere in life again. Here I am again. <laughs> not really yeah. sure. I've got a degree that certainly from college I'm not using, and luckily I finished massage school. So I think there's a lesson right there for anyone who's listening who's going through major hard times is still finishing something. If I had not finished my programs I began, I don't know if I'd be here right now. So even like things are difficult, at least finishing some schooling puts you in a much better position than not. So do you think it's, do you think it's the schooling or do you think it's just the, the muscle and integrity and the metal that you develop as an individual to just complete something that you started? Indeed, that, that's a big admirable trait that, that to show off to people is to say, yes, even though life wasn't easy, even though I didn't have the advantages of a Kennedy, I still was able to 
you know, grind my way through life and at least finish. And you know, it may not have been the best grades. I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna champion my GPA or show off my transcript to anyone. But certainly, I finished, and that's what's most important. I think that I developed also the ability to think in life. That's what school and finishing school can help do is how to think things through. And it wasn't until I think age 26, divorced, living in, a, living, or basically I was homeless for a while until someone took me in to live in their home for a few months. I'll never forget him. Uh, his name is Britton, and I'm really appreciative of he and his wife, Elizabeth, in Utah that allowed me to live in their home for a few months because otherwise I would have been homeless and who knows what would happen. So I feel like there are people that you know come along in your life as well that act as angels. They don't call themselves that, but they do act that way. Yeah. I'm so happy that I had that opportunity. That's amazing. I did not realize that you actually had that a period in your life where you were homeless or about to be homeless. That's, that's quite a long way from where you are now. Yeah, and, and so certainly at age 26, you're kind of learning how to navigate and, and life. And, and luckily, I was able to kind of still keep my job somehow, some way. I don't feel fully functional mentally at the time, but somehow I made it through. Uh, again, that metal and resolve and just that no, not quitting attitude is what really, I think, helped, helped me out. Yeah. But in the end... That the second going rogue moment I think I had was uh, going to make a big change in my life and moving to Phoenix, Arizona in 2006. I had met now my now wife back in 2006, and we, you know, we fell in love pretty quickly. Her name is Bethany, and we fell in love really quickly, and Beth and I decided to let's just go rogue and let's just move to Phoenix. We don't, uh, there, yeah, there's a job there we can take, but... It takes us away from a lot of other great opportunity in Salt Lake City. We could have grown there and been very comfortable, but we pushed ourselves out of a comfort zone to come to a new place in Phoenix, Arizona, work for a school that, again, I've always appreciated working at this school, but certainly I'm the new guy from Utah. So I was treated you know, a little differently than everyone else being the new guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I, and I, at, first, at first I was the employee that just kind of put my head down and just work to prove myself to my boss. And I had to realize, okay, there's also peer dynamics and employee dynamics to learn. So another learning curve there was how do I get along with my new coworkers who at first they thought I was stuck up. <laughs> I think some thought I was stuck up because I wouldn't really talk much at work. I just did my job and went home mm-hmm. and I wasn't intentionally, not intentionally doing it. It was just more of a, I just want to do good because I want to impress my new boss and this is, this job is important. Important. So I had to learn how do I do that in a way that doesn't turn people off. Right. Yeah, I think sometimes people misinterpret um, somebody's um, quietness or shyness or just, you know, focus on what they're doing without being super social. Uh, they, You can get misinterpreted as being stuck up, as you say, and it's really not the case. Indeed, indeed. So I think that, that that second moment was, that rogue moment was, yeah, moving to Phoenix, Arizona, and then deciding at that point, this is going to be where I settle, where Beth and I will settle. And as we settle in this new life, we just kind of created a life for ourselves. It certainly wasn't what my father ever intended or anyone intended, but I didn't really care. It was just, this is my chance at age 20, at that point, age 27 or 28, to now make life for myself. And it's been a great blessing to move down here and and facilitate that. 
Wow. So it seems like, you know, after all of that, that rocky start, um, once you made a firm decision um, to really stop following, like you say, the leads of other people and looking for stuff, you know, outside of you, you, you followed what was calling you inside and followed, decided to just go where, you know, where you wanted to go, not based on influence from, you know, other people. Um, and, and, and it worked out. And that was the first 27 years of my life was just follow the lead of others. Follow what dad tells you, follow what everyone tells you. Everyone seems to know better. And they did because again, I didn't grow up with any guidance on what to do in life. So again, now that I finally felt like I grew up, I began to work for a company um, and, and it was a good job at first certainly working 40 hours, then suddenly the job becomes 45 hours a week, then 48 hours a week, and then 50 hours a week. And then I'm wondering, why, why am I away from home so much? It seems like I'm doing more for the same paycheck, and I'm doing more than I ever anticipated. So then by, age, by the year 2014, I decided to make another big going rogue moment. <laughs> and this is, I think, the biggest significant one of all, because I admit I got a little comfortable with that steady paycheck, and the city paycheck felt good. It certainly paid our bills and such. And I was able to, you know, meet a lot of great students over the years. So it was a, it was a great company. I'm not going to badmouth the company at all, but it just the job itself became a much different beast. And it began to consume my life being at work 55 hours a week. And I thought this is getting out of control. I didn't sign up for this. Yeah. And the nature of, edu nature of education, the company was starting to penny pinch and not provide as much support. So I definitely was feeling that heat, uh, you know, do more with less. And that doesn't feel good in any corporation. Mm -hmm. And then, then I, I just realized I'm going to go rogue again. And then my children at that time were about two years old and one year old. They're about oh, you know, 15 months apart. And I realized, okay, um, I might be stupid for making this decision because I have a steady paycheck, two babies at home, but I'm just going to go rogue and go on my own and get break away from the full-time job. And a lot of my peers said, why are you doing this? That's not a smart decision. You have two young babies at home. You should wait 10 more years before you... Yeah. And I thought, no, I, and I'm, this company is going to kill me. <laughs> the work is the physical demands and the mental strain and the stress and my high blood pressure. That's going to kill me in a few years. It won't right. be 10 years if I live at this pace. And I wasn't seeing my children at night. And that really killed me too, to not see them at night. I would ask my boss, please, can I not work so many evenings? And sure enough, I'm the one who gets scheduled most evenings. So I thought, okay, they're not going to listen to me, obviously. <laughs> they, don't, they don't care to listen to me. And I'm missing time with my wife and kids and I'm, I'm suffering health-wise. I was so unhealthy back then, Lori, so unhealthy. You would not have uh, recognized me back then. Wow. Uh, but then I decided, yeah, I was a much different person back then. I don't know how I still ma maintained my job. Again, yeah, I, it's, it's hard it to imagine like it. Yeah, I was definitely not very positive, and I found myself acting out in ways I never would normally do, getting irritable and angry, and I thought, this is not me. This is not, I'm not, this is not normally me, so I can't be in this environment because I'm not becoming a good person. <laughs> I'm morphing. So I decided to go rogue and then go, I, I stay at the company just part-time basis, very, very part-time, like one night a week, that's it. 
and then decided, okay, I'm going to go rogue. And again, my bosses kept saying, don't do it. Don't do it. We, we, we love you. We love you. We need you. Well, I didn't feel the love. So I decided to love myself and I decided to make my own company. And it wasn't easy to start because again, that income drops initially and you get a little nervous. And I'm thinking, did I really make the right decision? Cause my income just dropped. Got two young kids at home. I don't know how bills are going to get paid, but somehow we managed. And now, four years later, five years later, um, life is life is good. We have enough bills and then some. So I feel like it all worked out. Wow, that's really interesting, especially because you know that's what happens. You you get so afraid of losing. Of certainty in your financial situation. And, you know, you're like you said, you're you're at a job where you have a paycheck that you can count on. And at home, you've got a wife and two babies to take care of. So to risk not having that and putting your home life in jeopardy, that's a huge risk that a lot of people aren't willing to take rather than take that risk and taking the leap of faith that you did. They just allow that, the stress of work and the lack of, of quality home life to become their new normal. Um, so I think it's, it's very brave and courageous um, and bold to be willing to take the risk that you did, uh, because you were choosing, um, you were choosing to create a new quality of life over the security and certainty of the one that was though becoming very uncomfortable and actually probably physically harmful to you. Indeed, you're exactly right. You said it best, the quality of life. I recognized at that time, about you know mid-30s, and I thought, what is the quality of my life? It just isn't what I ever wanted it to be. And I wanted to get away from the restaurant and that 70 hours a week to have a better quality of life. And, and I do remember vividly one of the corporate folks at the school said, hey, Jim, I work 70 hours a week, so should you. And I said, no, no, that, that's the moment I decided to leave. I said, that, that's not my life. That's not going to be my life. And I don't want him to determine that for my life. So I simply um, planned ahead. I, I would have left six months earlier full time if I had the money. But of course, I did save a little bit. So it's always healthy to you know plan ahead a bit. And six months saved up a good amount at least to make ends meet and survive that initial drop in income. And then from there, I just kept sharpening my sword, so to say, kind of mm -hmm. the idea of really working on my craft, refining myself as a therapist and refining my classes, making them better as the years go by. And again, you know, there's some hits, there's some misses, there's a learning curve there, but I always just kind of kept that same drive of, you know, in college, I'm going to finish college and massage school, I'll finish massage school in life. I'm just going to finish it off well. And I just made sure that in, now five years later, the business is doing well and I've got 35 classes at least on my class roster I, that I've refined and approved the National Certification Board of Massage. So it's been a busy time, a lot of time at computers, a lot of time still working, a lot of mental work, but at the same time, finding balance with my children. If I get to see my children, it's really nice to say that. 
Yeah, well, that's important. I mean, clearly, uh, you, you don't get to have a, a do-over on that. Uh, you know, w- once they pass age one, and then two, and then three, and then four, you don't get to have that back again. So you are either going to, you know, forfeit being a big part of that, or you're going to make a big change like you chose to do. Now, it's interesting, um, even though you had, you know, just the the challenges that you did growing up and just getting through college and then, you know, your, your initial move to Utah and whatnot, but your stick-to-itiveness was a resource that was always there and you were able to then redirect that resource to creating a life that you really could fall in love with and feel good about. I think that's a really, um, you know, I think people forget that they, that the, they have resources that maybe they haven't used to their advantage uh, because they've had challenges and maybe they've had what they would call failures and really tough times. And sometimes they just don't realize that, you know, there are things that we oftentimes need to go out and, and cultivate and develop new skills and resources. But there are also a lot of those that are already within us that we just haven't properly directed, you know, to our advantage. So true, and it does take patience. I think that it is difficult for many people who say, well, I need to make X amount of money every month. I can't afford that dip in income, as he just referred to. And certainly that's why I did plan ahead. I made sure for six months to save as much as we could just to make sure we were ready to make that shift. I know it's not always feasible today, but certainly Mm -hmm. as long as that as long as that vision is still there of what you want your life to be, that's really important to have that vision in mind. That's why I like that word vision a lot, to be able to see something that isn't quite there yet, but it's there and just, you'll, you'll do what it takes to manifest or you don't, but hopefully right. people do make that choice and the yeah. life choices. And that, that's going to take some life choices that might be a little difficult. If I can't, uh, you know, I only have so much money, so I can either choose to spend it in productive ways or unproductive ways. Uh, right. I, I give the example in massage therapy a lot about, you know, some clients might complain, I don't want to pay $60 an hour for massage, but that person still may, the same person goes to the Arizona Cardinals football game and spends $800 there. <laughs> so it's more of a, <laughs> right. you know. You know it's all a matter you know, of priorities and what you value in your life. That's right. That's right. So certainly, I think that if people learn in general how to how to prioritize self-love and self-realization and make that vision in mind a true priority, then they will make the life choices it will take, necessitate to make that vision manifest. But it won't be in a year. It might be two years. It might be three years. So it does take some patience and resolve. Maybe that's why college is four years and not just one. Right. <laughs> There's a great lesson there in, in teaching how to go through the life of grind for four years. That really puts puts the mind at test. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Yeah, and that's a really good point to make about going rogue, too. Going rogue doesn't necessarily always mean that you flip a switch and, you know, one day you were doing this and then you pack up your stuff and overnight you are off in a completely other direction. I mean, it can be that for some people and maybe it should be, but also, like you said, you didn't, you made a decision, but, but you also, um, put a strategy in place to, so that you could have the best chance at success at making that going you know, when it came time to move, you made the decision to go rogue, but then you also put a plan in place and strategically got yourself, you know, to where you needed to be. What it, it wasn't just an overnight quick 
move for you. Indeed. And certainly there have been many, you know, business decisions and life decisions that maybe didn't work out or not very favorable. Uh, I'm, I'm fortunate in life than in business. I've had more hits than misses. But there's a quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson I want to read here because it speaks to you, I think, what success can be in life. He says, our greatest glory is not in never failing, but in rising up every time we fail. That's one of my favorite quotes of all. Yeah, I love that quote. I've heard that before. And yes, boy, I, I have probably, you know, you said you've, you've succeeded maybe more times than you failed. Is that what you just said? Did I hear that right? I I think, I I think fortunate. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I'm trying, I'm trying to think back when it comes to like professional stuff or, you know, work stuff. I feel like I've definitely failed (laughs) more times than I've succeeded. But again, I think, I think it's really how you define failure and success. You know what I mean? And and I feel like, I feel like all of the past failures though, are what have led me, um, you know, to, the successes that I now experience. So in that way, the failures are successes. I mean, you know, it depends on how you look at it. Very true. Yes. I mean, I'm not going to be in Forbes magazine next month. Uh, <laughs> certainly I, I have, I have enough to make ends meet. I have enough in the bank now to be fairly comfortable and it's nice to be able to have that success, but also, you know, bigger picture of course is I'm more successful as far as quality of life. And the fact that I do get to have, you know, a date afternoon with my wife and I get to enjoy time with people. I'm surrounded by healers every day in my massage classes. I've got healers who are coming to my classes. And I thought, what a great environment to be around loving people who share love with their clients every day. And I get to also work as a massage therapist too. I keep my professional office open and I have a number of clients each week. So I get to share the gift of touch still to clients. In fact, Mm -hmm. this morning, just had a wonderful session with someone who I know is going through again, her need for healing is is profound, and yet I don't think I'm doing much, but yet she walks away feeling great. And I just know that there's a lot of metaphysical healing going on, not just the physical healing. Yeah, that's just awesome. What a nice life. You are surrounded by and creating a lot of really great energy, and I think that that's just a really beautiful thing, Jimmy. Truly. And we all, we all can do it. I hope that the, the listeners are hearing this and hearing that message of we all can. We all really can because I was that kid who was not supposed to succeed coming from Waukegan, Illinois. The, the joke was always, oh, you came from Waukegan, you're going to be dirt poor your whole life. I was not supposed to succeed and I didn't have the 4.0 to get out of town to a nice college. You know, I, I didn't have the, the, the resume, didn't look impressive. So, mm-hmm. it, so I was easily, and I'm also a man with a very soft-spoken voice, smaller stature. I mean, I'm the average size male, but, you know, I'm not, you know, Hulk Hogan huge. So, I, <laughs> again, I don't have anything impressive about me. So I just feel like, okay, what what can I do with, with, with what I've been given in life? Just make the best of it. And with a healthy, positive attitude and that never-say-die attitude, just pushing forward, that can overcome many, many perceived shortcomings. 
Yeah, and they are perceived because there are plenty of people, to use your reference, of of um, amazing physical stature that um, that don't that aren't doing what you're doing and spreading, you know, spreading good vibes and good energy and being of service and just making people feel good. I like to say that even though my body might be just average size and muscles, I've got a heart that is super huge. Ah, I would agree with that. That's awesome. So, so and, yeah, my heart, I think, is, is going to what's going to kind of carry me through the next few phases of life. And who knows if I go rogue again? It might just happen again. Who knows? Um, you know, my time in my time in Phoenix is is really fun. But then again, I definitely feel another shift coming on in the future. We'll see when that happens. Yeah, yeah, I feel yeah, I feel a shift coming on in my future too. I don't know what it is, but I'm up. I'm up for the adventure. I'm open to it. And that's, uh, you know, that's what's exciting about the the unknown is the, oh, the possibilities that await. You never know. Never say never, right? And that's where life is fun. I think that life is fun outside the comfort zone. Forget there's pictures I've seen where there's a big circle inside the circle. There's words describing comfortable, how it feels to be comfortable and safe and secure. And it's everything calm but yet very hmm, limited as well in that circle but then when you look outside the circle that's where the excitement lies that's where uncertainty lies but that's where true growth and creativity thrive Mm -hmm. so i think the more that we of course we are carrying that big heart of a healer i try my best to carry that with me around but also realizing that if i push myself to that comfort zone outside the comfort zone and beyond i know that's where i will continue to grow yeah, yeah. The next, the next level is usually going to be somewhere that's a little bit um, uncomfortable because of the uncertainty aspect of it. And you know, if uh, if you're brave enough and courageous enough and up for the adventure, you go there, and anything could happen. Then you never know where it's going to take you, and that is what's exciting about you know taking that risk of being uncomfortable. I have to throw out that my wife is definitely very a partner with me. That's why I really love her so much. She's just a wonderful support in that way. So I must give her that shout out too, because it would be would would be very much more difficult without her. Mm-hmm. It's so important that we surround ourselves with just loving people and surround ourselves with such supportive people that will uplift and not just bring you down. I think it's so important to, I think also I pull up another quote here by Helen Keller, that optimism is the faith that leads to achievement. Nothing can be done without hope and confidence. So when I, when I, when I help someone, uh, these days I get to be a mentor to many junior therapists and my message is always, how do I try to instill hope and confidence in their abilities? Even if they've only been in the field for a year or less, they still have something great to offer the world. So I try to find my way as a mentor and to try to uplift in that way to provide hope and confidence. And I hope that people listening can, you know, if there is hope out there, even if you have a similar background that, hey, you were never supposed to amount to much, but yet you are, you are amounting to much right now. And your existence matters much in this universe. And yeah. with some more hope and confidence in oneself and learning how to really push forward, that's where optimism can be found. 
Wonderful. Well, I think that you are extremely inspirational, and I am sure that your students just soak it all up and really feel good about being able to learn under you and have you mentor them. And I, I can't imagine that they don't that leave their time with you feeling full of all of that hope and optimism. That's awesome. So yeah, the thing I appreciate most about my students is that I get to learn from them too. It's really a, a pleasure to be a teacher and learn from the students. Yeah, I agree. I agree. What um, what can we tell our listeners about where to find you and what you do in case somebody wants to look you up or somebody local wants to come and learn from you or get a massage from you? Where do people find you? Yes, I think the best site would be the website www.advancedmassagece.com. That's our main website. And uh, just a kind of a quick preview, I'm working on a book project with someone, and we hope that's coming out this summer. Uh, we'll, I'll let you know, Lori, when officially is all ready. But it's, it's going to be a book about staying kind of healthy when we travel. As we stay healthy as we travel, we, we find that as we navigate through life, the lessons that we learn teaching this book are not just about traveling, it's how to stay healthy as you travel, but also just good life lessons too. So if that, as, as that book comes out, we'll let you know when that book comes out, and hopefully that provides some good inspiration for anyone. That is excellent. Excellent. I'll be excited to hear about it. Perfect. So, Jimmy, this has been awesome. Before I let you go, I would like to ask you my final question, which is, what would you like to share with everybody about the value of going rogue? The value of going rogue is true freedom. It is true independence. It is true freedom. Uh, it's unfortunate that people get stuck in life or feel like they're stuck in life and feel like there's no hope. But really, there is. Once we find the means, and it might take a professional massage therapist or a professional of some other type to help us find that. But once we find that means to go rogue, it really is worth it. Uh, the, there were, the hippies had it right, Lori. The hippies had it right that there was, we were never meant to just sit in cubicles, work 40 hours a week, and that was supposed to be life. <laughs> I think life is to be really enjoyed. And, and the more that we can create a life that we can enjoy, because the world has so many joys and wonders to it. And going rogue in life, I think, allows us the freedom and independence of discovering all these great joys and wonders that life truly possesses. Perfect. I love it. Jimmy, thank you so much for sharing your time with us and your story today. I really appreciate it. And I think everybody else will too. It's been a pleasure to talk with you, Lori. I appreciate your great work in this world too. I know you do wonderful work here. So, so stay blessed and keep up your beautiful spirit. Thank you, my friend. Take care. Enjoy. Have a happy day. Okay. That was a very interesting interview with Jimmy. And, you know, I just think it's a really good point to drive home, you guys, that we don't have to continue dysfunction. We don't have to continue staying stuck. We can overcome our past or our upbringing, and we really can create a life that we love, even if it's off to a really ro rocky start. So don't give up. Listen to what Jimmy the Greek said and uh, get some stick to going and you really can turn things around. So if you liked this 
podcast, leave me some comments. I would love to hear your thoughts about the show. And of course, a rating would really help me out and would be very much appreciated. If you are trying to make some shift happen in your life and you would like some private coaching with me, just go ahead and connect with me on Facebook or through the websites. We're talking shift.com or lauriebischoff.com. And you will also find all the links to my social media there as well. Thank you for listening, everybody. Until we meet again next week, stay feisty, my friends, and go make some shift happen. You too, Gary V.